make sure you have your Bible, Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. That's where we're going to be looking at. And let's pray. All right. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning so far of singing and being reminded of who you are and what you've done in our singing. Not only that, in our fellowship, in our even meet and greet time, um, we are here this morning, um, not because of um, not because of this venue, um, but we are here this morning because of the work you've done in our hearts, Jesus, and the work you've done in us. Um, thank you for um, Martin Luther King Jr. and so many of the faithful. Um, your faithful people over the years who have um, stood up and lived the life you've called them to live and did all that they can to bring about your purposes in um, this society and this country. And so we're thankful for that. But it's amazing to know that we are about to um, focus on one particular individual, Jesus Christ. And it's because of Jesus that we are here, and it's because of Jesus that men and women um, like Martin um, Luther King Jr. were able to achieve what they have achieved. And so we're thankful for Jesus. And so as we reflect on your son, God, may our hearts be stirred, and may Jesus become more precious and more valuable to us than anyone or anything. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so from the moment um, Jesus stepped into the public eye, and we've been seeing this as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, he attracted large crowds. The more he taught um, and the more he healed and did miracles, the larger the crowds became. At this point in Mark chapter 4, the crowds have grown so large, a house is not big enough to contain them. So Jesus decides to get a venue big enough to contain the crowd, um, and the biggest venue available is the shores of the Sea of Galilee, okay? And that is what it says in verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and we know that that is the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it, on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And so Jesus is using a boat at this time as his platform because the crowds are just pressing in on him so much. There's not enough space on the shore, so he jumps in a boat, and the boat just goes out. And actually, that you can actually visit um, where Jesus preached this particular sermon, and they say that when you get into a boat and you go out to sea, I don't know how far, but you you can go to a certain distance and you'll be able to speak and those on the shore will be able to listen. Apparently, whatever is going on there, the dynamics that, is, that are going on there, it's like this natural amphitheater. It's incredible. And of course, Jesus knew this. That's where, why he went there. And so Jesus is on the boat. Um, he, he, he's speaking to the crowd. All the people gather by the water's edge. And from the boat, he begins to teach the crowd using parables. It has been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In his parables, 
Jesus used that which was common and experienced by citizens of first century Jewish culture to help him understand the culture of the kingdom of God. And so before Jesus gets into the content of his parable, we are told in verse 3 that the first thing he tells them to do is listen. And what he means by this is that he wants them to listen carefully and reflect on what he's about to say in a way that affects their heart and shapes their action. And so it's not just audible, I'm going to listen, intellectually think about it. The listening here in verse 3, that listen, is I want you to listen. And I want you to take to heart everything I'm going to say. And I want it to change how you live. After calling his audience to listen, Jesus introduces his parable with the following words. A sower went out to sow. This introductory statement obviously captures the attention and imagination of his hearers because he's about to tell a story that is common to their everyday experience. A sower went out to sow. Parables, real-life experiences with a spiritual meaning. And I was thinking about this today. If Jesus was here you know, sharing parables with us here in San Diego, he would say, a surfer went out to what? Surf, okay, right? Or, a, you know, or an individual went to Brick and Bell or a coffee shop or something. If you've been here for a while, that is an inside joke. I'm sorry to make you feel left out. But he would do that. He would use our everyday experiences to communicate a spiritual truth. And so, a sower went out to sow, says Jesus in verse 3. And he goes on to say, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured birds, birds. I'll come back to birds. I'm not fond of birds anymore, what they've been doing to my plants and my... Anyway, <laughs> verse 5. It's a personal... Okay, after other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then Jesus ends his parable in verse 9 with these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As compelling, okay, and as relevant as this story and parable may have been, many in the audience were left scratching their heads. And this includes his disciples. They too, obviously, have um, difficulty understanding the parable um, because it tells us in um, verse 10 that, uh, look at verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And so later on in the day, when Jesus was alone, his disciples come up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, that parable was awesome. Awesome! But what did you mean? 
by this farm, farmer sowing seeds and soil. And what did you mean? Before Jesus gives the meaning, he reveals to them in verses 11 through to 13 that the parables, think about it, Jesus' parables. Every time you read Jesus' parables, what he's trying to communicate us or what he's trying to reveal to us is the kingdom culture, the kingdom of God and what it's like, okay? He's trying to do that. He's also trying to communicate to us who he is and what he's uh, about to do and also how we are to live, okay? And so before he explains this parable, he reveals to them in verses 11 through 13 that the parables, right, can only be understood by those who believe Jesus for who he is. But for those who refuse to believe, they'll remain in the dark as to the meaning of the parables, Jesus then explains the parable. The first thing he explains about the parable is that the seed represents the word. Okay? The word, word here means the gospel, the message of the gospel. And it also means like word as in scripture. It means whatever Jesus was proclaiming. And what Jesus was proclaiming was who he is and what he was about to do, because who Jesus is and what he was able to achieve is the most important thing. Because without Jesus, if you're here and you're a Christian, you would not understand the Bible as you understand it now. You would view the Bible as a historical book about um, God and about these cool, crazy events that took place. You would view many of the stories as fables. You would view many of the stories as just these great, fantastic... No, you would view the Bible as a compilation uh, of stories from ancient times. But with Jesus... Okay, you guys remember in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus rose from the dead and he was walking and he began to, he began to explain to his disciples all that, um, he began to explain to his disciples that the whole entire Bible was about him. And so with Jesus, we get an amazing understanding of the Bible. It's like Jesus opens our eyes to what the scriptures not only say, but what they're all about. Okay, and so the word represents the seed. The seed represents the word, and it represents the gospel. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is that through Jesus Christ, God has made it possible for you and I to have a relationship with God. And if we repent, that is stop living for ourselves and believe in Jesus, that is to trust in Jesus to trust in Jesus, um, that his death, his resurrection um, gave us access to God. And it's the only way we can have a relationship with God. We will have a satisfying relationship with God forever. And that is the gospel, that it's all about Jesus and what he's done. But what's surprising that even though the gospel is good news, even though the gospel is the best news the world has ever heard, some people will choose to reject it. And this parable 
illustrates this sad reality. And that is the majority of the people who hear the word of God, the majority of the people who hear the gospel, that is who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish for us, will turn around and reject it. We'll view something so glorious, so life-changing as something that is weak and foolish and not valuable. In the first century, a sower, which is another word for a farmer here, often carried his seed in a bag. And as he walked along the field, he would scatter right? The seed everywhere. Not in our modern times. I remember I was planting some, you know, trying to grow some grass in Arizona. And I, I, I mean, I just started throwing and stuff. And someone was like, no, you can buy this kind of mowing thing that you put the seed in and you mow it and it lines the seed up perfectly and you keep going up. You know, it's just properly not in the first century. You just had a bag and a guy would just go and just toss seed everywhere. And in verse 4, we're told that some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. In verse, birds, okay. In verse 15, Jesus sheds light on this part of the parable. He says the seed that fell along the path represents the kind of people that hear the gospel message, but shortly after hearing it, listen, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. I know, maybe, that in this room, there are differences of opinion when it comes to Satan. Some people are obsessed with Satan. And what I mean by that is I grew up in a church culture where everything was about the devil, you know. Like you sneeze, oh my gosh, it's the devil. And you lose your job, oh my gosh, it's the devil. No, I wasn't working hard, okay. Um, <laughs> the devil made you lose. No, I wasn't working hard and I was being lazy and so I got fired. It wasn't, you know. And so some people are obsessed with the devil and blame everything on the devil, and for some of us, maybe we think the devil is just this made-up character like Santa Claus or superheroes. He's not real. He's a fictional character some creative genius came up with. But according to the Bible, Satan is absolutely real. And here, Jesus warns us to take him seriously and to be aware of his tactics. One of Satan's purposes is to do all he can to stop God's work in the lives of people. And one of the ways he does this is to stop the gospel message from taking root in people's lives. And he does this by coming and snatching it away. The person who is like this first type of soul, the path, may be an angry, hardened atheist or skeptic who with arms crossed, heart closed, immediately rejects anything that challenges their ideas. Or it may be simply the average person who is simply distracted. If Satan... And he's very smart and crafty 
can distract you so that the word of God goes in one ear and comes out the other, he will have successfully taken away God's message and weakened its impact in your life. This morning, I want to issue a warning. We're all at risk. There's a thief among us who wants to take from us. He isn't after your car or your wallet. He isn't after the money in your bank account. Nothing like that. Satan is after something more valuable. He is like a thief who wants to take the gospel message from you, who wants to do all in his power to prevent the gospel from taking root and growing its influence in your life. Some of you have heard the gospel message many times, over and over again. You've heard about Jesus. You, 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 you even read your Bible. You're at church every Sunday. But there seems to be this lack of passion and lack of satisfaction with who Jesus is. Maybe in your life, throughout your life or the season you're in, the reason why you may not be as satisfied in Jesus as you should be as desiring to be with Jesus as you see, in awe of all that Jesus has done. Maybe it's because the enemy, Satan, is snatching away God's word and God's truth from your life. Notice that the seed is in danger of being eaten by the words because it fell on what is described as a path. The fields in ancient Israel were long, narrow strips divided by little paths. Over the years, the constant traffic of footsteps and wheels caused these paths to become as hard as concrete. Okay, so over and over again, these parts where they, um, they, 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 they that became paths um, became hardened uh, because people were just walking on them and animals, and wheels, and all of that. And so they became hard. And because of this, when the farmer would scatter his seed, some of these seeds would fall on this hard ground, and they couldn't penetrate into the soil. And because of that, birds came. The hardened part of the field that became a pathway wasn't always like that. It became like that and hardened over time. And for some of you, your heart, may have become hard and unresponsive to God over time. Maybe your heart is hard towards God, maybe because of disappointment. Maybe God didn't fulfill a desire in your life. Maybe you wanted God to do something and he didn't do what you wanted. And so because of that, there's this angst and bitterness and anger within you. And because of that, your heart is hard. And how your heart is hard is that you are struggling as you move along. You are struggling to believe God's promises for your life. Whatever it is, your heart has hardened to the things of God 
And when you read or hear God's word and his many promises, you're skeptical. You're like, God didn't do it then. I really wanted God to do something then, but he's not going to do it. Even though God might be speaking to you and saying he's going to do it. You are skeptical. And when we're skeptical, our hearts are hard towards God's purposes and God's promises for our life. These are some of the characteristics of a hard heart. Unbelief is characteristic of a hard heart. And Satan and his forces of evil will make sure to prevent the truths of God's word from penetrating, germinating, um, taking root, sprouting, and bearing fruit in your life. And when we talk about Satan like this, the tendency for us is to start fearing and to start thinking, oh my gosh, he's so powerful and my heart is hard and Satan's just going to keep coming in and, and wrecking my life and preventing God from working. But the truth of the matter is Satan is on a leash and God is holding the leash. And he, he has no power over you and he, God is way more powerful than he is. And the amazing thing is, you do not need to remain in a season where your heart is hard. There is seasons where we go through doubt and go through unbelief and are disappointed, yes. But rest assured that God is absolutely faithful. God is absolutely gracious and God is absolutely loving and he is in the business of seeing his children persevere and endure through every season. God is gracious. He absolutely is and God is all powerful. He is way more powerful than Satan. Satan is known as like someone who comes to steal, kill and destroy but the amazing truth of the matter is, if we are God's children, if God is our Father, there is nothing he can do to destroy us. Someone once said that Satan is like a lion who is roaring, but he has no teeth. And he has no claws. Toothless lion. I'm not scared of a toothless I may be, actually. Yeah, it's still frightening. But toothless, clawless lion, just want to hug it. Sort of. Okay. As the farmer scattered his seeds, some of them fell on rocky ground where the soil was very shallow. And because the earth was not deep enough for strong roots to take hold, it grew too quickly. Verse 16 to 17 contains the meaning of this part of the parable. There are people... Um, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And because they have no deep roots, they endure for a while. When, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Um, this is basically the person that hears the gospel, they're enthusiastic and excited um, initially, but when they experience trouble or persecution because of their allegiance to Jesus, they give up following him altogether. Jesus himself faced trouble, and because Jesus faced trouble, if you are a follower 
of Jesus Christ, you will face trouble and opposition. Rico Tice, who's a pastor also Souls Church in, in, in London, likens this kind of trouble um, that we're going to be facing to side effects you get with some medication. He rightly says that many life-saving treatments, such as chemotherapy, bring with them some pretty awful side effects. He goes on to say, there are times when the patient undergoing treatment may wonder if the cure is worse than the condition. But to give up on the life-saving treatment because of the temporary side effects would be to give up on life. It's really helpful to see it that way. Being a Christian doesn't mean life's going to be cushy, bed of roses. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship. In saying this, Jesus is being brutally honest. He's making it clear that hard times and persecutions are basic elements of the Christian life. And if this is not understood from the beginning, we'll want to throw in the towel and give up on Jesus when we face challenges and difficulties. I became a Christian when I was in college. Okay? College, London, I was studying information technology, IT, and I became a Christian um, in just like, I mean, I went, I just was going through some stuff and I just started praying and I, I began to have this love and desire to be with Jesus and his people. And I was part of this like crew. We thought we were a gang. We did, but we just weren't just being honest. We just thought we were, but we weren't. All we did was party. And when I got saved, what began to happen is I didn't desire to do the things I used to do with them anymore. And so I would separate myself. Hey, Obed, you coming out? We're going to do this. I'd be like, no, I just don't want to do it. And I wouldn't tell them what was going on. I would just say, I'm just sick or something. And eventually they found out that I was staying I was spending too much time away from them. And, hey, over there's this girl. You want to go and chat to her? Uh, no, I'm not interested in that. And so kind of my persecution was them beginning to think I was this weirdo. And they literally just gave me the hardest time. I was being bullied by the kid, the guys I used to hang out with. It was a dreadful and tough time. And I know persecution uh, for Christ uh, more people are being persecuted in more extreme and challenging ways. But for me, being a teenager, my allegiance to Jesus, my commitment to Jesus meant that I was being opposed and I was going through tough times and even bullied for my faith in Jesus Christ. But the reason why I've been able to endure is not because I'm just this, I got this strong will and I'm just like, focused. And I think the reason why I've been able to endure for all these years and persevered as a Christian is because of God's Spirit. It's because of God's Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, um, Jesus, God gifts us with his Spirit, and his Spirit is what helps us endure through difficult seasons. So for some of you here this morning, you may be facing obstacles. Yeah, you may be facing hard troubling times and you may be facing opposition because of your relationship with Jesus. I don't know what that looks like, but this is my encouragement to you. May you be strengthened by the fact that the God, God has not abandoned you. He has not left you. His spirit is at work sustaining you and he continues to provide you with everything you need to endure so that you don't fall away. When your world is being rocked, 
know that through his word and your church family, God will give you courage, hope, comfort, direction, and strength. And Eleanor and I have experienced that. It's just been amazing how in our darkest and most hardest, toughest times, God has helped us endure. And he's done it through his spirit, and his spirit works through his people and his word to encourage us and help us to persevere during tough times. Jesus goes on. He says in verse 19, there's another group of people, and they're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Here, Jesus mentions three things and likens them to thorns or weeds that weaken or diminish the impact and growth of the gospel. And the first is the cares of this world. Um, The second is deceitfulness of riches. And the last is desires for other things. These all are distractions, things that distract us from um, us growing in our love and appreciation for God. Uh, Many of you uh, have careers. Many of you are trying to, um, you know, make it up a a specific career ladder. And what that can do, all that is good. All those things are fantastic. But all that can do is distract you or even diminish the work of God in your life. When you begin to prioritize and idolize those things um, and value them more than Jesus Christ. Right? The deceitfulness of riches. It says it. It's like a thorn that comes in. And what that means is that it's fine, right, to, 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 to want to be wealthy. It's fine to be wise with your investments and manage your money well. But it can be deceitful. And it can be deceitful when you begin to feel like money and wealth is what will give you ultimate satisfaction and happiness. When you pursue all of those things, you are on the road you are deceived. You, when you pursue those things for ultimate satisfaction and happiness, you're on your way. You're on your way to destruction. They're like thorns that just suck the life out of you. And so what this part of the passage is talking about is that be careful that you don't allow anyone or anything to begin to suffocate the work of God in your life. And so my question to you is, who or what are you loving more than Jesus? Who or what are you loving more than Jesus? If we love created things more than the creator God, it's just like what Jesus is describing. God is doing a work in your life and he wants to see you flourish and he wants you to be satisfied in Jesus. But when we begin to love created things over the creator God, those created things begin to come in and begin to weaken the work God wants to do in our lives. And so in the final verse of the parable, Jesus explains the meaning behind the seeds that fell 
on good soil and produced an enormous an enormous harvest. He says in verse 20 that there are people who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so if you read 60, 30, 100, these harvests being described here were not normal back then. Were not normal back then. Only a miracle could cause these uh, um, um, harvests that was being described here. And so this is describing the person that hears the gospel and loves and obeys Jesus. There's a difference between hearing and doing and just hearing and listening. And it's hard to be obedient to God. I know for sure there are areas in my life I'm struggling when it comes to obeying God. It's absolutely hard. And there are areas in my heart where I know for sure there are things in my life I know for sure that I love or I'm tempted to love more than Jesus. But it's amazing to think, and this always helps me, when I begin to think that I am not bearing fruit in my life and that I'm not living the way God wants me to live and that I'm not loving Jesus enough and that I'm not committed to the church enough and all of these things, when I begin to think about that, I'm always reminded of the fact that if I look in the rearview mirror of my life, it's amazing to see the work God has done in my life. I am so different. I may not be where I want to be, but I know for a fact that because of God's grace, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am a miracle. If you guys knew me two years ago, or even ten years ago, I, I was totally different. But it's amazing for me personally to look in the review of my, of my life and realize the amazing fruit God has brought about in my life. Okay? My, my wife has seen me over the last 10 years. Okay? And she'll probably tell you, I am different. And my encouragement to you is don't allow this season of your life, whatever you're going through, to define who you are, okay? Look at the gradual, faithful, consistent work God has done in your life. God has done miracles in your life. You are here today. You are where you're at today because of God's grace. There are hundreds and thousands of people out there in this city Okay, And for you to be a minority that has uh, a, a hunger to know God and to even have a, a conviction of sin in your life or whatever, like that is a miracle in and of itself. And so always, always base the, what, what God has been doing in your life, not in this small season that you're in, but base it on looking back and seeing the years and what God has done in your life. Because you're not where you're meant to be. Because you're not where you want to be. 
But if you look carefully, you will see that God has done a work and you are different to how you are. May this parable make you treasure the word of God and the seed that is sown. The gospel message tells us that Jesus Christ has fully paid the price for sin on the cross. So the way is now open for us to know God and enjoy him forever. If only we will hear, accept, and trust him. And the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done is so precious. And I pray this every day or other day. I always pray and I say, Jesus, may I never become numb to how amazing you are. Jesus absolutely is incredible. And that should be our prayer every day. Jesus, may we, may I live in such a way that everyone around me recognizes that you are my treasure. And it's because of the power of, the, of God, it's because of the work of Jesus Christ that the seed of the gospel has been planted in our lives and we are bearing fruit in our lives. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Um, Help us to be a community that are in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. It's simple. Our prayer is that we would treasure your son, Jesus Christ, more than anything or anyone in our lives. Thank you for this parable. Um, Thank you for helping most of us realize that in this parable, we truly are the, 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 the people in this parable that um, heard your word, accepted it, and it's bearing fruit in our lives. And this is amazing. It's amazing for us to recognize this. And it's a miracle that you've been performing in our lives for as long as we've been saved. And so, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a time, what we like to call reflection. And it's a time where we all need to individually reflect on what we've heard. Reflect on the truths of this passage. Maybe as you reflect, as you've heard, you may identify um, with some of the soils that didn't grow or didn't harvest. You might say, man, there's things like thorns. There are things in my life that are coming in and choking the work God wants to do. Or maybe... um, you're going through a hard time and your life has been rocked by a tragedy or whatever and 
you are wondering whether God will help you endure and take you through. Or for some of you, you're like, man, like as I reflect on my life, I have seen God do more than I could ask or imagine, if I'm honest. And so I want you to just take this time. And I want you to reflect, but I also want you to remember all that Jesus Christ has done. And no matter where you are, no matter how um, infected your heart or your life has been, be reminded that Jesus paid it all for you. And that through his life, death, and resurrection, there is hope. There is hope for you and hope for the situation you're going through. And so spend this time praying. And then Dan and the team will let you know um, when to stand and sing.